whenever you hear Black Lives Matter, it's a cry. End of the day, we have to realize this movement is not about us. I say Black Lives Matter, and even as a black man, this movement is so much bigger than me, myself. But those three words go beyond any organization. If a black life didn't matter, we wouldn't be here. But at the end of the day, we're humans. And like I said, every single one of y'all matter, y'all. This fight for black lives is a fight for you and me too. It's a fight for any marginalized community. At the end of the day, this is our generation's fight. Because I'm black and black lives matter. Those three words right there, black lives matter, how could you argue with that? How is that controversial? How is that a political statement? Wait, no, it's fucking black lives matter. In whose streets? I'm always gonna turn back and say, hold on, wait. Black lives that have been undermined, have been overlooked, that have been undervalued and things like that. That's what it's really for. Y'all see us out here. We're unified. Austin is here. Yeah. We need y'all to hold each other The voices you just heard are from the mouths of leaders and protesters, recorded from June 12th to August 18th, 2020 in Austin, Texas, the first stop on our journey in our hometown. We talk to people from all walks of life about what it's like to witness and experience these events many of us only read about firsthand. We take you now to a blossoming and often disorganized landscape of political activism, tumultuous and at moments, shockingly violent. I'm Chris Webb. And I'm Brittany Hallberg. And this is Voices from the Streets. In downtown Austin, more than a thousand people gathered at several locations to protest the death of Minnesota man George Floyd and Austin man Mike Ramos at the hands of police. Showing solidarity. Just south of Austin. My name is Bubba and I'm a publicist. I got involved with the protest because I'm black and Black Lives Matter. I got involved with the protest because I I live a lifestyle that requires me to speak up about being equitable and accountable for being equitable. It's been like having a couple of extra thousand people join your family. It's been actually a very interesting experience in the sense that all of the strangers become very helpful as we protest together, as we march together, as we stand together. We're giving each other water, we're feeding each other, we're asking each other how we're doing, we're, we're creating friendships. And then we converse on social media, so Twitter and Instagram and all of the spaces are just buzzing. It's, it's been a very um, mind-blowing experience in terms of community building. Have there been any moments of uh, extreme elation or extreme 
trauma or violence in San Antonio specifically that you'd want to share with people around the country? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was some traumatic experience. We were definitely traumatized. My business actually sits on the in the building that was, uh, quote-unquote, air, air quotes, looted. Um, it was looted pretty savagely, and it, um, uh, no offense with that word use, but it was very, it was really a, a terrifying thing to watch, and we kind of watched it on, on Facebook. There was a video of it, and so I watched it, and I expected my business to be ransacked. I expected my business to be completely, I mean, I'm talking gutted, and uh, came in the next day, and this can bring me to tears. Someone had put a sign on my door that said black owned, and it brought me to tears. You know, because at one moment, I can think about everything that I have. Just like us protesting all across the country, all across the world, we can think about everything we have and think about it going and fleeing from us in a second. But when you have nothing and you get the opportunity to just take something, and I can see myself on both sides of that protest, and so it terrified me being in that moment to say, oh, this could have ruined me. At the same time, this shit can still ruin me. Just being a black woman, on any day, somebody can throw a brick through my window and take whatever the hell they want because they don't want me there. You know? So it was terrifying. It was extreme. Did we get over it? Yes. The gentlemen, my neighbors that were looted, they're rebuilding. We, it brought us closer together. I get to have a good conversation with Muhammad and Mr. Chan. I think his name is Mr. Chan. But I get to have a good conversation with them, you know, and I've created a great friendship. And uh, we helped them to do what we could to market their reopening. And, their, and uh, it was tragic, but it, look at, there's always a silver lining. Um, one more question, and it's, it's okay if it's too personal, but if you were willing, could you share the, the first moment that you experienced um, prejudice or racism in your life? It's America. <laughs> June 28, 1984. It's you know, I was born on a day in a hospital that wouldn't allow my mom to stay more than four days. That's it. Thank you. August 9th, Austin. I am 17. I am from Austin, born and raised. I'm a student, and so uh, I would be on summer break right now. I, so like there's really nothing else I, I could be doing like I think this is definitely the best use of my time I've never been out in the streets like this kind of thing before um, mostly it's mostly been related to school stuff um, so this is a first for me I was watching online all these videos um, of the police and their their brutality tactics and I was like this is insane like uh, I I consider myself like growing up in a pretty privileged space. Uh, I never had to worry about the cops. I didn't really realize people did to this extent. And so it was really a, a shock to me. And so I, I decided to come out and see it for myself. And about 20 minutes after we got there, this small girl like walked past and she had just been tear gassed and she was just like frozen being carried. Uh, so it was a, a real eye opener. We stood outside the Austin Police Department looking beyond to an angry mob of back-the-blue rally participants. All male, all white, all unmasked. They sang the national anthem and egged their opposers to leave the area. But that's not why we left. And uh, just now, as uh, she was talking to me, 
uh, two more people were arrested, one of which uh, was a guy who's been out here for over two months with his boombox playing music for us. He was just arrested for playing music on public property or out in public, uh, despite him doing the same activity almost every day for the past two and a half months. Our conversation was cut short by 20 Austin bike cops who surrounded a Black Lives Matter protester and arrested him. It startled me. Things seemed calm, but everyone else seemed unfazed. Like, I don't really know what they were arrested for. They told us to get out of the street. We weren't in the street. I'm guessing they had been in the street at some time prior because they were not arrested when they were in the street. They were arrested after, which is a tactic APD uses a lot. Um, They wait till someone's vulnerable and then they go out, even if they're not currently committing any crime. Uh, then the, the motorcycle game came. There was about uh, maybe 100, 150. There were a lot of people here. Uh, and it was very obvious a lot of them knew the cops. They were uh, high-fiving, shaking hands. <laughs> uh, it was a very obvious bias from APD there. Um, two more people were arrested after that on the other side of the street. Uh, they were charged... Cutting one of them, the first one, she cut the corner. She was walking on the sidewalk, uh, and she cut the corner to get onto the curb, and they arrested her for it because she took maybe two steps in the street. Another girl runs up um, and, I guess, interferes with the arrest. She's she's brought down, too. Someone took a picture of it. uh, An APD officer's knee was on her neck, and that's been uh, banned in the city of Austin. So (laughs) breaking their own rules there. Throughout the day... Uh, more people were arrested. We had like maybe 12 people arrested today in total. Uh, our stuff was thrown. APD was taking people's megaphones and just throwing them onto the, the porch of APD. Away from people, people's hard hats were being thrown. After discussing her experience, I asked if she had any takeaways from protesting. It's not just happening here. I'd say that what's happening here, uh, APD, pushing the boundaries, what's happening in Portland with the, the feds. I would say it can and it will happen to your city if y'all don't take a stand. Um, I'd say that uh, a lot of people have a, it's not you, it's me, or that could never happen here kind of mentality. That's just not true. It probably is happening in your city or it did those first weeks of protests and It's something you should be mad about. August 1st, Austin, at a rally at University of Texas. So my name is Anthony Collier. I'm a law student at the University of Texas School of Law. This summer I'm working for the NAACP Office of the General Counsel. When uh, when did you first uh, get involved with actually coming out on the ground to the protests? Mm -hmm. I've been involved since since um, Sandra Bland's death. So I organized protests out in Waller County in front, and I organized the protest in front of the home of Brian Asenia, who's the state trooper who arrested Sandra Bland. So I've been active, pretty active since 2015. That's when I was a student at Texas Southern University in Houston. For those listening that might not know about Sandra Bland, could you kind of give them a brief synopsis of what's going on there? Sure, so Sandra Bland was a, a graduate of Prairie View A&M University, which is the HBCU out in Waller County, Texas. And she had, she had graduated, and she was coming back for a job. She drove from Chicago. She got pulled over by a state trooper, and the state trooper actually sped up behind her to force her to switch lanes as a, uh, a trick 
to make her switch lanes without using a turn signal. And he used that as cause to pull her over. Once he pulled her over, it escalated. He told her to put out a cigarette. She said no, which she doesn't have to put out a cigarette. She had a constitutional right to smoke a cigarette in her vehicle. He threatened her to, uh, he threatened to light her up to get her out of the vehicle, snatched her out of the car, pulled her out of view of the, um, the dash cam, and you can hear him physically uh, attack her. And then he arrested her for no cause, and she was found hanging in her cell three days later. In this next clip, you'll hear Oprah Winfrey speaking with Malcolm Gladwell about the Sandra Bland case. Here's a woman who is 28 years old, who has come to get us to start her life anew in Prairie View, Texas. Yeah, in a lovely little college town in in the middle of rural Texas. And we must say this happened, as you just mentioned, after Michael Brown, after Freddie Gray, after after Orlando Castile, Eric Garner, uh, Walter Scott. Yeah. And now now Sandra Bland. We have the dash cam Mm -hmm. records the conversation that ensues between... We all hear the entire conversation. The whole conversation. And it goes on for pages. Well, it starts out, he's, he's friendly. He comes up and asks her, is she okay? And why are you here? And she lights a cigarette. He says, could you put that out? And she says correctly, no, why do I have to put out a cigarette? And then what the thing, everything goes sideways. Get out of the car now, or I'm going to remove you. And I'm calling my I'm going to yank you out of here. Okay, you going to yank me out of my car? That was 2019. Now, back to Anthony. Since the start of these most recent protests following the death of George Floyd, has anything changed for you about the political climate of Austin, Texas? Nothing's changed for me. I am glad to see that uh, people of other races are starting to stand up for black lives because, like I said, I've been doing this for a while. And when I first started protesting, everybody was black. Like at the protest I organized in front of Brian and Sydney's house, literally everybody was black. But here, uh, I mean, and granted, that was like Houston people, and this is Austin. Austin is a lot more whiter than Houston. But just seeing like people all around the world, like white people, Hispanic people, people of all races, colors, and creeds and religions standing up for black lives, that's heartening for me. And I think that we're, uh, we're moving in the right direction. What do you think it was that inspired that, that change in the movement? I think it was the pandemic because this has been happening, but only black people were paying attention because it affected our everyday lives. And so when, when George Floyd was murdered on camera, this time it was primetime news and everybody was at home to see it. And so now everyone was able to be just as outraged as us. And I think that's the, that was the catalyst that uh, made it different this time. Thanks for talking to me, man. No problem. August 9th, Austin, Texas, outside the Austin Police Department. The main reason that I'm out here is in solidarity with Black Lives and ending the current system that we have, that currently you make one mistake when you're 17 and that follows you for a minimum of 10 years. But it sucks because people that go into the system, it takes you in and locks you up and then spits you out and then you still have to wait seven years and in some states there's not even the seven-year law for background checks. So it's a scarlet letter that literally follows you for the duration of your life. That's Mac, who's been dealing with felony charges since she was 17 years old that she received for being associated with an older boyfriend who committed theft of stolen property. I spoke with her and her friend Callie from the safety of a car 
after we were treated from what they described as a pretty close call with the police. Here's Callie. I am 23 years old. I grew up in a small town called Bridge City. It's in southeast Texas near the Louisiana border. It's also by Beaumont, as you may know. It's very Republican, very white, very racist, very, it's terrible. And I also grew up with my brother, he's mixed, and my cousin who's mixed. So I saw how they were treated in that town a lot of the time. We spoke for a while about Austin and the challenges they've experienced marching these last few months. Honestly, I'm impressed they're out here at all. You see, for Callie, it's a particularly tough decision. She's also dealing with felony charges that she received just a little over a week ago before speaking with me. August 1st, in a rally where protesters took the streets and eventually the interstate, which had not been blocked since the last weekend of May, their situation escalated quickly. Mounted police and bike police wielding their bikes as crowd control weapons had surrounded the protesters. I'll let them tell the rest of the story. So why don't you tell them what happened after the bikes had pushed us back? Okay, so the bikes were pushing us back. They doused a girl in pepper spray. So she like comes uh, over to my shoulder and she's like covering her face. And I just get so mad because I'm like, oh my God, she's literally crying and stuff, you know, like on my shoulder. And I'm like, at that point I am backing up with the crowd. But uh, I look at them and I don't know what I was saying, but I'm like waving in the video. You can see me waving my arm saying something. I'm sure I was like, what the fuck or fuck you or something like that. But uh, whenever I started waving my arms, all what I really, I kind of blacked out at the beginning because all they said was, all right, we're arresting this one. And then I kind of didn't really remember what happened after that until I was on the ground. And there were four, there were four officers on top of me kneeling on my back and on my neck. And I was yelling, uh, I didn't, they were yelling, stop resisting arrest over me for theatrics, you know, and I was yelling back at them. I'm not resisting arrest. I can't breathe. Like you're about to break my wrist. All I could feel was like, I couldn't breathe and that my uh, breath, and I'm a 130 pound female. So, you know, like four officers on top of me, all I could feel was my breath going out and my wrist like about to break, it felt like. And then they picked me up. Callie was arrested. The police searched her and then put her in the back of an unoccupied cop car, window shut in the Texas heat. About an hour later, her journey of being relocated to three different places before jail ensues. She was moved onto multiple buses around town until her and over a dozen other protesters were brought to the county jail. This was Callie's first time in jail. But it isn't the memory of being startled or frightened that she remembers most. What she remembers most was the way the police treated and separated the inmates. It was like the loud ones over there and the quiet ones over here. And I got, I was like, what? What? And she sat me with the quiet ones. And I looked around and I was like, you notice how all the white people are over here? And the black women are over in the soundproof rooms. So then I started saying shit, saying shit about that. And uh, I was like, this is racist. I was like, can you tell me why you put the black women over there? And she wouldn't answer my question. And then they moved me to a soundproof room. And then they finally moved us to where we could do phone calls, and that's where I finally met with my attorney. Now, back to Mac. Uh, I got her an attorney because I knew they were doing some messed up stuff. So I pay the bail, um, get her out. 
get it in the process of getting her out. So what happens is I pay the bail. The lawyer goes, gets it signed before a judge for her original charge, which was only resisting arrest. Then after it's signed by a judge and she's supposed to be out within 30 minutes, they add on another charge to justify the resisting arrest because how can you be a resisting arrest if you're not arrested for anything else there was no precursor to the charge there was no necessary like um reason to justify resisting arrest if there is no arrest in the first place um so they added that on after the judge had already signed it after hearing their arrest stories we couldn't help but ask why keep going out what makes it worth it to face another possible arrest getting arrested would really really set me back um, but that fear isn't going to stop me from doing what is right. And at the end of the day, I do, I see hope. I see, I see courageous people out here. I see people not afraid. I see people to stand up for what is right, even though it's not easy. And you know, my thing is, is that we all have the ability to make this world better than when we left it. And I see people actively trying to make, you know, their life what it was at one point. But the reality is is the world is progressing whether you like it or not. And one of those progressions is equality for all. This episode of Voices from the Streets was written and recorded by Chris Webb and Brittany Hallberg in Austin, Texas. Mixing and Mastering by Zachary Goldman. Music and Scoring by Chris Webb. Interviewees' names have been changed to protect their identity. You can learn more at www.voicesfromthestreets.org. On the next episode we continue our dive into Austin. You'll hear from more protesters as we zero in on some of the events that have shaken this community. You'll also start to hear from those with the megaphones as we share their speeches and personal interviews with you. Until next time, stay safe out there.